the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Now, before we see Christ's interpretation of the parable, let me tell you why I suspect that the disciples were so interested in having Jesus explain to them the meaning of this parable. Because it's very interesting. There is no record that they asked him to explain any other parable to them. They were very interested in this particular parable. Why? Not because they didn't understand its meaning. I want to suggest to you it's because they did understand its meaning and they were very confused by it. They knew precisely what the Lord was saying and it did not equate with their thinking. How often do we as believers misinterpret what should be clear teaching from the Word of God? We may have preconceived ideas as to what a passage of Scripture teaches, or we may just not like to accept what the real meaning of the passage is. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Today, Pastor Steve of Lakeside Community Chapel begins to unfold another parable from Matthew 13. These are truths about the mysteries of the kingdom that Jesus wanted his disciples and us to know. You will find this class very interesting, I'm sure. At the end of the class, I'll tell you again about the free book offer from Verse by Verse. Now with today's lesson, here is Pastor Steve. Once again, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 as we continue studying another parable. And we have come to the second of the seven parables in this magnificent chapter. And I want to read to you, starting in verse 24, the parable itself, and then we'll jump over to verse 36, as we'll see our Lord's interpretation of the parable. Starting in verse 24, we read, Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burden them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then beginning at verse 36 we read, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. As for the good seed... These are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. 
So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. With these words, we have our Lord's second parable, the second of seven parables found in Matthew 13. And we also have his interpretation of the parable. We're not always given an interpretation of all these parables, but in this case, we are of the second one. And this parable is found only in the gospel of Matthew. It's not found anywhere else in any of the other gospel accounts. So what we have of this parable is right here. It is usually called the parable of the wheat and the tares, sometimes called just the parable of the tares. But the wheat represent believers in Christ and the tares represent unbelievers. And although the first two parables have some similarities because they both deal with farmers who sow seed in their fields, they really have completely different messages. And you should understand that up front. Now, in order to understand these messages, it's important to remember that there is a common theme that connects all the parables in connecting them and giving us important truths. And that is that these parables tell us about this age that we live in. Notice in chapter 13, verses 10 and 11, the disciples came And said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? The disciples wanted some clarification as to why Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables. And in answering them, the Lord said in verse 11, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So we understand that the parables are about the mysteries, that mystery form never before been revealed up to this point of the kingdom of heaven. That is to say the parables, each parable helps us to understand about the age that we're living in today. We are living in a unique era in terms of Christ building his kingdom on earth. There is a kingdom, but it's a kingdom in which Christ reigns in our hearts without being physically present. There is a future aspect of the kingdom coming what we call the messianic or millennial kingdom in which Christ will reign on this earth out of Jerusalem for a thousand years, the book of Revelation tells us. But that's not happening now. This is the mystery form of the kingdom. Now, the first parable about the sower who cast seed that fell upon various soils taught us a very important lesson about this age. And usually these parables do stress one important truth. One major truth. And the major truth that the parable of the sower taught us is this. Even though Christ is no longer physically present on earth, we can be assured that his kingdom will advance. It will expand because the seed of his word will fall on some hearts that are responsive and receptive to the gospel. As you'll recall, the parable of the sower revealed four different heart responses to the message of the kingdom that we can expect as we witness for Christ. The first three are negative, meaning that most people will not embrace the gospel. They will turn it away. But the fourth, the fourth kind of soil, the fourth kind of heart response is the good and fertile soil, which tells us that some people have been sovereignly prepared by God to receive the gospel. So even though the king isn't physically present, his kingdom will advance. Some hearts will be responsive to the gospel during this age. So the point of the parable is this, keep throwing the seed. 
You never know where it's going to land. We don't know the people's hearts, but we do have the seed of the Word of God, and we are to keep throwing that seed as we witness for Christ, and we trust the Lord that some of the seed will land on hearts that He has sovereignly prepared to receive it. Now, that's the primary message of the parable of the sower. But now we move to a second parable, a parable about wheat and tares. Tares being, and note this, they are a type of weed that looks very similar to wheat until the head matures. And like the parable of the sower, this parable also helps us to understand an important truth about Christ's kingdom in this age. See, the parable of the wheat and tares reveals that during this time period, note this, during this time period, even though Christ is growing his kingdom in the hearts of some people, we can also expect many unbelievers, unbelievers who give the appearance of being believers to exist side by side with believers. They're just like tares. You can't tell them apart immediately. In other words, just as the tares resemble the wheat, so some unbelievers, not all, but some unbelievers will resemble genuine believers. They're called in this parable sons of the evil one, meaning that they are children of the devil. And like the devil, they are planted in strategic places to actively oppose Christ's kingdom. See, the Lord wants us to understand important truth about the age we live in. Just because the kingdom will advance as he conquers some hearts doesn't mean that all of his enemies will be defeated in this age. They won't. That's not the nature of the kingdom now. There'll be many enemies of the gospel in this age, and some of those enemies will look very similar to children of God and will eventually be rooted out. But, watch this, not now. And it's not our job to root them out. The Lord, at the end of the age, will send forth his angels at a time called the end of this age. He called it, in this parable, the end of the age. And at that time, he will root out and separate the tares from the wheat. Now, why is this parable so important for us to understand? Because it helps us to to not be naive. It helps us to understand that Satan plans his own people amongst true Christians. And the Lord doesn't want us to be surprised by that. He also wants us to have the right attitude towards unbelievers, and we'll, we'll see as this parable progresses. In light of the fact that unbelievers do exist alongside of believers in this age, the Lord teaches us what our responsibility is to be towards these unbelievers who look like believers. We are, and watch this, we are not to go on the offensive and to make it our business to try to figure out who's an unbeliever and who's a believer and then, and then verbally assault them and expose them. That's not our job. God will do the exposing when he judges them at the end of the age. We are not called to be spiritual detectives in trying to determine who a true believer is and who isn't. That's not our role. Now, this will become clear as we go through this because there's probably some thoughts in your minds right now about, well, how far can we go? You'll see as we study this. Now, we certainly need to be aware of, of Satan, that Satan plants unbelievers who look like real believers in our midst. They do have an agenda to oppose God's word, but we are not to be obsessed with trying to figure out who they are. We need to keep evangelizing the lost by throwing the seed of the word all around us. We certainly have to oppose Satan. We have to oppose his unrighteous lies. But God has not called us to attack unbelievers, either, either physically or verbally, and to fight them and, and act as their judges. 
In other words, we're not called to aggressively purge people from the church and be on a witch hunt. So this is a very significant parable because it does address what our attitude should be towards unbelievers in this age. Now, what we want to do this morning is just follow the line of, of reasoning as, as, in, as is presented to us in Matthew 13. First, we're going to look at the parable itself, the story of the parable, and then we'll see Christ's interpretation of the parable. So let's begin by looking at the story of the parable of the wheat and the tares. We have to understand the story before his interpretation makes sense to us. Starting in verse 24, let me read Verses 24 and 25 again. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. Now, in this parable, Jesus once again compared the kingdom of heaven to a, to a farmer who sowed good wheat seed in his field. But while his servants, who are his slaves, while they were sleeping at night, this farmer had an enemy, and his enemy came and sowed seeds called tares on the same soil. These, these tares were probably a weed that is known as darnel, D-A-R-N-E-L, which is a poisonous plant that looks very similar to wheat in the early stages of its growth, but then becomes distinguishable only later when the wheat ripens and bears grain. So what Jesus is describing, understand, is, is not something that the people listening to him would say, well, what is this about? This really happened. This was not uncommon. It really did happen to farmers in the ancient world when someone's enemy wanted to hurt him. He often did it by trying to destroy his agricultural field by planting weeds among the good plants seed. In fact, it happened so often that the Roman government had a specific law prohibiting it. So this was something that that our Lord's uh, listeners who were Galileans, the original hearers of this were Galileans, and they uh, many of them were Galilean farmers, and they would have certainly understood what Jesus was talking about and could even relate to it. So this is not out of the ordinary. This is something that was uh, a story they would have they would have understood. As the story continues, Jesus tells us what happened several weeks after the enemy sowed these tares when the wheat began to ripen and it became obvious that something terribly wrong with the, with the field was, was happening. Verses 26 through 28. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go and, and gather them up? And Jesus said that when the wheat started to bear grain, the servants of the farmer, who were his slaves, saw how many tares were in his field. And so they came to the farmer and they questioned him about this. They wanted to know why the field had such an unusually high uh, number of tares. So they asked him, did you sow good seed in your field? Why then do you have so many tares in your field? See, while it was common that, that in most fields you would have some weeds, that, that was very common, this man's field was filled with them. That's the difference. It was filled with them, and his servants wondered why, because they knew that the farmer had put down good seed, so they couldn't understand it. Why, if he put down good wheat seed on his field, did he have so many tares? To which the farmer replied, that what was now obvious to him was this. An enemy, he said, has come and done this. 
And so the servants, knowing that if the tares were left to grow in the field, they would weaken and possibly destroy the wheat harvest. They asked the owner if he wanted them to go throughout his field and just pull up and weed out those tares right now before they could do any harm. But surprisingly, the farmer said, no, leave them alone. And he proceeded to give the reason for leaving them in the next few verses, verses 29 and 30. But he said, no, For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, the reason the farmer told his servants not to pull the weed tares right now was because in doing so, they could inadvertently destroy Some of the good wheat, too, since the roots of the tares and the wheat would have become so entangled and intertwined. It was also possible that some of the wheat had not matured yet and could have been erroneously identified as tares and mistakenly pulled up. Instead, what the farmer said is, look, do this. Just let the wheat and the tares grow together for right now until the time of the harvest, and and then I'll bring in the reapers, and the reapers will be able to separate them. And then what they'll do at that time, they would burn the tares and then gather the wheat and store it in his barn. See, the reapers were different than than the farmer's uh, slaves. The reapers were experienced in distinguishing between the tares and the wheat, more so than the, the helpers on the farm. These were the specialists, and they at that time at the harvest would know what they're doing and what to look for, and they would then be able to weed out the tares. Now, that's the essential story of this parable, a story that on the surface really isn't difficult to understand. Our Lord made it very clear the people listening to him that day would understand the basic story just as we would understand it. But our Lord's disciples knew that there was a spiritual lesson here. Now, this wasn't just a story about tares and wheat. It went deeper than that. And so we read in verse 36 that they came to Jesus. It would have been later in the day. And they asked him in verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Now, Matthew informs us that this question by the disciples took place Later, This would have been later in the day after Jesus had left the crowds. He had gone back into the house. What house is he talking about? Well, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 says this. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea and large crowds gathered to him. And he got into a boat, sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables. What we know from, from this is that Jesus had been teaching in a house in Capernaum probably Peter's home. We don't know for sure. And it was so crowded. Afterwards, he got up. He went down to the Sea of Galilee, which was probably uh, about 100 yards away. He got into a boat and uh, he sat down. He rowed a little bit from the shore, the people standing on the shore, and he began from this boat, perhaps Peter's boat as well. Peter was a fisherman. And he began speaking to the multitudes in parables. But now Matthew tells us it's later in the day. The Lord has given all the parables. He's gone back into the house. He's away from the crowds and his disciples are alone with him. And they request of him to explain to them the meaning of this parable. Now, before we see Christ's interpretation of the parable, let me tell you why 
I suspect that the disciples were so interested in having Jesus explain to them the meaning of this parable. Because it's very interesting. There is no record that they asked him to explain any other parable to them. They were very interested in this particular parable. Why? Not because they didn't understand its meaning. I want to suggest to you it's because they did understand its meaning and they were very confused by it. They knew precisely what the Lord was saying and it did not equate with their thinking. Now let me explain. It is important for us to understand that the Lord's first followers, especially the apostles, were all steeped in in Jewish thinking. They were Jewish men. Their entire thinking was based upon what they had been taught to believe from childhood and based on a total Jewish orientation. Therefore, when they thought of the kingdom, they thought of the great messianic kingdom, an age of righteousness in which the Lord would banish all unrighteousness. But now, Jesus is giving them something new. He's telling them truths that they had never heard of before because it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, that there is a mystery form of the kingdom. There is a form that they had never thought of in which he would reign in the hearts of men and women. But when they envisioned a kingdom, they envisioned a world in which Messiah ruled and reigned without any opposition to his authority. They believed that the Messiah would not tolerate in his kingdom those who refused to submit to him. He would just destroy them. And you can easily see the attitude of Christ's disciples towards unbelievers who opposed him by a very interesting incident in Luke chapter 9. So let me take you there. Hold your place in Matthew, but go to Luke chapter 9. I just want to put this together so that you'll see why the disciples came to him and said, explain to us this parable, because it does not equate with what we believe. In Luke chapter 9, we read, starting in verse 51, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew the time was drawing near for him to go to Jerusalem where he would be arrested then put on the cross, then resurrected, and then ascend back to the Father. So in verse 51, that's what we read, Luke 9, 51. He knew that it was coming, so he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Verse 52, and so he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. Now, the Samaritans go all the way back. There There are people with a mixed religious system of Judaism plus paganism, and it goes all the way back to Old Testament times, and they had their own religious Uh, system. They had their own place of worship called Mount Gerizim. Uh, There is still a small group of Samaritans even today in in Israel. Uh, They they hated the Jews. The Jews hated them. They wanted nothing to do with them. And to go from Galilee to Jerusalem, uh, the most direct way went right through Samaria. In fact, biblical Samaria is really what's called today the West Bank. When you hear on the news about the West Bank, it means the western side of the Jordan River, which encompasses biblical Samaria as well as Judea. So that's really what the West Bank is. So now the picture is this. The Lord is on his way. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He needs to go through Samaria. So he sends some messengers, some of his disciples ahead of him, to make sure that there are arrangements in a certain village for him to spend the evening. We read in verse 53, but they did not receive him. They meaning the Samaritans. They didn't receive him. They said, no, you're not staying here. Why? Because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. By virtue of the fact that Jesus, as a Jew, 
was traveling towards Jerusalem meant that he had rejected Samaritan worship. He had rejected Mount Gerizim. And he's going to the headquarters of Jewish worship, Jerusalem. And so they said, you're not staying here. We're opposed to you. We reject you. They rejected Jesus and his disciples. They wouldn't let him stay in one of their villages. You'll have to come back tomorrow to find out what the disciples were thinking and hoping would happen as Christ Jesus talks about his kingdom here on earth. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We have been offering to send a copy of Steve's new book, Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd, to anyone who sends in a gift of any amount this month. This book is a wonderful resource of materials covering topics like the life of Elijah, Esther, the Beatitudes, running the spiritual marathon, how to find God's peace, and much more. This is a 207-page paperback book, which contains some of the best of Pastor Steve's messages over the past 30 years of his ministry. Send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. You can also contribute online by going to versebyverseradio.org. If you feel led of the Lord to contribute regularly to this ministry, there is a place under the Support Us tab to sign up. Your gifts are so vital to continuing this ministry, and we are grateful for your participation. You can call us at 727-239-0306, and our email address is contact. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.